Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Without doubt, there are no records of my sins. Without doubt, there's no requirement for me to give an account of my life to God after I die. Without doubt, there's no judgment after death. Without doubt, there's no punishment after life. Without doubt, there's no hell. Without doubt, there's no being cast into hell. Without doubt, the Bible is not literally true. Without doubt, Jesus Christ is not God. Or if you're Jewish, without doubt, Jesus Christ is not God, and he's certainly not the Messiah. See, all these things people believe without doubt, and there's no question at all about it in their mind. But they should have doubts, just like Jacob. They should have questions about all these things, just like Jacob. Just like Jacob in verse 33, who said, without doubt, and had no questions about the report. Jacob should have doubted. He should have had questions about the report about Joseph. Our whole ministry at the Creation and Earth History Museum is to raise doubts and questions in the minds of those who say, without doubt, there's no creation, but there's only evolution. Without doubt, there's no creator. Without doubt, there's no God. They should doubt. They should question all those things because they're not true. And just like Jacob, they should doubt and question what was not true without doubt about. Most of the Jewish people say, without doubt, Jesus Christ is not God. He's not the Messiah. They should doubt that. They should doubt that Jesus Christ is not God. They should doubt that Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. And they say, without doubt, Jesus Christ is not God and and not the Messiah. Why? Because the rabbis tell them that. Well, they should question the rabbis. Our whole ministry at Israel Restoration Ministries is to raise doubts, is to raise questions in the minds of Jewish people who say, without doubt, Jesus Christ is not God and not the Messiah. We're not trying to convert the Jewish people. We're trying to make them curious. We're trying to make them doubt. We're trying to make them question what they should doubt, what they should question, because it's not true. Now, the question is, why do people say today, without doubt, They say, without doubt, no creation. Without doubt, no creator. Without doubt, no God. Without doubt, no life after death. No judgment, no hell. Why do people say without doubt about all those positions that they should question, that they should doubt? People today say without doubt what they should question and what they should doubt because they're terrified at the thought of being exposed and vulnerable. So what do they do? They build themselves a special shelter. They make for themselves a hiding place. The Bible talks about that shelter. The Bible talks about that hiding place in Isaiah 28, 15. Isaiah 28, 15. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with hell, are we at agreement when the overflowing scourge shall pass through? It shall not come unto us, 
for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. See, the Bible calls the shelter that they've made a refuge of lies. And the Bible calls where they've hidden themselves a hiding place of falsehood. People today ought to say, without doubt, the Bible is true. But instead they say, without doubt, lies and falsehoods are true. Now, when we read in the next verse here that Jacob, what he did in verse 34, it says, Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. So here we see Jacob. He now rents his clothes. And you have to follow this from verse 33, the end of verse 33, because at the beginning of this verse, 33, he sees the coat. He knows it. He sees the coat. He sees the coat is rent. It's lacerated in pieces. Then at the end of verse 33, Jacob says, Joseph is without doubt rented pieces. Jacob concludes from the lacerated coat that Joseph is lacerated into pieces, and then Jacob takes his clothes and lacerates them to pieces. He plunges into the state of mourning for Joseph. And we read that Jacob mourned for his son many days, which shows that Jacob really plunged into a state of despairing grief. You know, there's a difference. There's a grief, and then there's a despairing grief. And now we know that it's going to be 22 years before Jacob is going to find out what really happened, and he's going to see Joseph again. And it's not unreasonable to assume that all during those 22 years that Jacob was in this state of despairing grief. But now we read the response of the family to the grief in verse 35. Verse 35, all his sons, all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, I'll go down to the grave and to my son mourning, thus his father wept for him. So verse 35 tells us that all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. Kind of surprising we see all his daughters. We only knew about one, but we don't have to know about all of them. But anyway, her name was Dina. And so, you know, we thought, well, okay, that was the only one of Jacob's daughters. He only had one, but okay, maybe. So maybe he had more daughters. They didn't tell us. They didn't have to tell us. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Or maybe it's talking about his daughters-in-law. Who knows? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter the all his daughters. But what does matter is the next part, is the part, all his sons. All his sons. Can you imagine that? All his sons rose up to comfort him. That's amazing. That's amazing to us. The sons are the criminals. Okay. They're trying to comfort Jacob. How horrible is this for us to see the criminals have become the comforters? How could the sons of Jacob come close to their father that they just stabbed in the heart and now try to comfort him? How could they move so close to Jacob to comfort him and see this despairing grief of their father? They caused it. How could they not break down in repentance and contrition? Now, what do you think the sons of Jacob said to Jacob to try to comfort him? What do you think? What could they say? (laughs) Yeah, He would go, that puts me into more grief. (laughs) Did you have to remind me of that? (laughs) But you're right. They'd say, well, you lost one out of 12. You still got 11. (laughs) Okay, what else? Clinton, you were going to say? Okay. You had one favorite wife. We know. Rachel, she had two sons. We know. You still got one. Okay, same thing. You know, it's okay, Dad. 
time will heal this, this also shall come to pass. You'll forget about Joseph. It's okay, Dad. You still have all of us. It's okay, Dad. We still love you. (laughs) Keep in mind that if they still love Jacob, they're the very ones who caused all this grief to him. And you can be sure that Jacob remembered every word they said to him when they tried to comfort him. And all those words of that phony comfort would come back to Jacob 22 years later when he realized, it was my sons who did this to me. They lied to me about Joseph being eaten by a wild beast. But at that time, when Jacob's sons talked to Jacob and tried to comfort him, you think their words really were a comfort to Jacob? (laughs) I don't think so. You know, those were empty words. Those were empty words with no comfort at all. How could they comfort him when they were the cause of his grief? Their comfort probably made Jacob feel the more horrible so that after listening to all his sons, he could have said the very same words of Job in Job 16.2. Job 16.2, I have heard many such things, miserable comforters. Are you all? (laughs) This, this thing that they're doing here is a cruelty to Jacob that's actually worse than the cruelty that they did to their brother Joseph. All the while, their son saw their their father Jacob plunged into this awful grief mourning over the death of Joseph, and those sons tried to comfort Jacob over the death of Joseph. Those sons knew that Joseph was still alive. They knew all they had to do was organize a party with money, and they had money, and go down to Egypt, and they could buy Joseph back from slavery. They knew that. And they knew that as they were trying to comfort their father, they knew all this. I mean, what a family. (laughs) I mean, whoa, whoa. This is some pretty severe stuff. I mean, just think of later on in life, when Jacob would look back and realize how cruel his sons had been to him, let alone Joseph. After Jacob had a chance to process what we're talking about now, to process what his sons did to him, is it any wonder, after he processed all this, that on his deathbed, he looks at his family, he looks at each one of his family, and he thinks, I want out. (laughs) I want out. He's going through, he's looking, he's concentrating on each one of his sons, and he's saying, I want out. He's concentrating each one of his sons on his deathbed in Genesis 49, 18, Genesis 49, 18, and he says, I've waited for thy salvation, O Lord. I think Jacob was saying his family was so hard on him, he wanted to be saved from his family. God's salvation. What does the world do today when it tries to comfort? What is worldly comfort? What does the world give for comfort today? Well, first... There are the worldly professional comforters, otherwise known as worldly counselors or psychiatrists. They have empty words of comfort. They don't really engage in a heart, sympathy, or compassion. But first of all, they try to shift the blame to those people that did those things to you. It's their fault. It's your mother. It's your father. It's your friends. And so they try to comfort in finding blame in others. Or they have antipsychotic drugs of which one in four people in the U.S. is on. And they said, find comfort in the pharmaceutically induced euphoria. And second, there are the comforters with promises based on lies. They're promises based on falsehood. Like for some physicians 
who will look right in the eye of a patient and tell them, there's nothing to be anxious about. You're going to live for years having no basis to say that. And then third, there are the optimistic, you know, comforters. You know, last week we heard about Jiminy Cricket. So (laughs) these are the ones who smile and say, you know what? I'm sure the next time the wheel of fortune is turned, it's going to be your lucky day. (laughs) So God bless you, my son. Where does true comfort come from? Where does true consolation come from? Real comfort comes from Philippians 2.1. Philippians 2.1. It talks about if therefore be any consolation in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, bowels of mercies, bowels and mercies. Real comfort comes from what the Bible calls consolation in Christ. The only true comfort comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. It flows, comfort flows, from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Comfort flows from the cross. Comfort flows from being adopted, responding to his invitation to come to him. Comfort comes from companionship. It flows from the gift of the abiding spirit of Christ. And all those are true comforts that come from Philippians 2.1, consolation in Christ, or what is called in 2 Corinthians 1.5, 2 Corinthians 1.5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolations also aboundeth by Christ. So the greatest aspect of true comfort in Christ is what is referred to as abounding in Christ, or as it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.16, 2 Thessalonians 2.16, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Consolation in Christ is everlasting, and hope is good because it is everlasting. The reason that worldly comfort is not a true comfort is because it's not based on truth. There is no consolation without truth. The Bible is true, and in the Bible we find comfort based on truth. The Bible is our language of comfort and consolation. In the Bible, we are comforted as we see how real the power of evil is. In the Bible, we are comforted as we see how the gospel is so necessary. In the Bible, we are comforted as we see the cross is so understandable. In the Bible, we are comforted as we see in the end death and hell being cast into a lake of fire. In the Bible, we're comforted as we see the tabernacle of God coming down from heaven and tears wiped off of all faces. That's comfort. But there's no true comfort without truth, and there's no truth without the Bible, so true comfort comes from the Bible. Now, then when we see Jacob in his grief here in verse 35, all his sons, all his daughters rose up to comfort him, But he refused to be comforted. And he said, I'll go down into the grave and to my son, mourning. This is father wept for him. See, Jacob refused to be comforted. When we read Jacob refused to be comforted, we understand that Jacob made a decision to not be comforted. Jacob made a decision to continue to mourn. Jacob made a decision to continue to cry. And that was a wrong decision for Jacob to make. And we only have to, to see how wrong it was, we only have to compare Jacob's sadness over the loss of his son with David's sadness and grief over the loss of his son. 
as we see in 2 Samuel 12, 15, 2 Samuel 12, 15, where we have this whole history here, and it says that the Lord struck the child, Uriah's wife, barren to David, and it was very sick. David, therefore, besought the Lord for the child. David fasted, went in, lay all night upon the earth. The elders of his house arose, went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither would he eat bread with them. Verse 18, the child dies. And then it says, he would not hearken unto our voice, how we then vex himself if we tell him the child is dead. He asked, is he dead? He said, yes. Then it says, David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel, came into the house of the Lord, worship, came to his own house. When he required, they set bread before him, he did eat. And this fervent said to him, what thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child when it was alive, but now the child is dead. You rise and you eat bread. He said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept for him. I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. He shall not return to me. David loved his little son just as much as Jacob loved Joseph. And David wept over his little son. And after David's son died, David rose up from his grief and mourning. David did what Jacob should have done. Jacob remained in the state of grief in his mourning over his, the death of his son, Joseph. But David rose up. Now, both David and Jacob realized that they were going to go to their sons, but David was comforted with the fact that he would see his son again, but Jacob refused to be comforted. David had a normal, godly grief. Jacob had an abnormal grief which raises the question, what kind of a grief do we have over the loss of a loved one? Christians who lose a a loved one need to be like, David, get over it. Christians who lose a loved one and refuse to be comforted, they're like Jacob. The difference comes down to walk by faith or not walk by faith. David walked by faith, he got over it. Jacob didn't walk by faith, he refused to be comforted. And as believers, we have hope of seeing deceased believers again. The world doesn't have that hope. The world grieves without hope. We have hope, which is called the hope of the gospel in Colossians 1.5, Colossians 1.5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, which you have heard before in the word, the truth of the gospel. Our hope is the truth of the gospel. Colossians 1.23, Colossians 1.23. You be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. That's the title of our hope, the hope of the gospel. Now, we have to ask the question, Why did Jacob refuse to be comforted over Joseph? I mean, what's the core problem here when he says in verse 35, I will go down into the grave in my son mourning? Jacob's problem in his life was that he was overly attached to Rachel, and Jacob was overly attached to the children of Rachel. What? A Jewish man becoming overly attached to his wife? No, that can't be. (laughs) What? A Jewish man becoming overly attached to his mother? Can't be. (laughs) Okay, but he was. Jacob was overly attached to Rachel, and he was overly attached to the children of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, and his sons knew that. And so when they spoke about their father Jacob and his relationship to Benjamin, they said in Genesis 44.30, Genesis 44.30, now therefore when I come to to thy servant my brother and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life. That's a description of Jacob. His life is bound up in Benjamin's life. That's a problem. Our life should not be bound up in any human. Our life should be bound up 
As Abigail told David in, in 1 Samuel 25, 29, 1 Samuel 25, 29, bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. Our life should be bound up in Colossians 3, 3. Colossians 3, 3. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 4. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life. God never dies. God never dies. Therefore, we rejoice in the one who we don't see, 1 Peter 1.8, 1 Peter 1.8, whom having not seen, you love, and whom having seen him not, you believing, you rejoice with joy, unspeakable, full of glory. That's the core problem with Jacob, over-attachment to his son. There's only one person we should be attached to, to this level, to the point where we see him as our life, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Reminds me of a Jewish woman whose daughter was tragically killed, 16-year-old daughter, and Dr. Trejo down at Takati went to the memorial service. It was in Takati. And at the memorial service, the woman told Dr. Trejo, when my daughter died, I died. It should never be that way. Why? Because of Psalm 30, verse 5. Psalm 30, verse 5. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Now, we see something very interesting about Jacob when he said in verse 35, I will go down to the grave. The Hebrew word is sheol. Sheol is the word translated as grave. Now, here sheol has been translated as grave, but Sheol cannot mean grave. Why in this situation can Sheol not mean grave? Well, (laughs) he didn't know that. (laughs) Okay, let me kind of lead you along a little bit. Abraham purchased a family grave, Cave of Machpelah. Abraham's buried there, Rebecca's buried there, Sarah's buried there, Jacob's mother, Rebecca's married. It's a family grave. When Jacob said he's going to go to Sheol, he was saying, He's going to meet his son there. Sheol cannot mean grave. Why? Well, let me ask a question. Where was Joseph's grave? Where was he buried? (laughs) All right, take it up. Did Joseph have a grave? He didn't have a grave. He didn't have a grave because Joseph had no grave. Sheol cannot mean grave. So what does he mean? What does Sheol mean? Okay, there are three possibilities for what this meaning. First of all, three interpretations of what the root of Sheol means is that from Sheol might be coming from Sha'al, which means to go down or sink to a hollow place. There's another Sha'al, which means to ask. And the grave is always asking for more and more, and men seek into it, sink down in there to its shadows there, and, and it's never satisfied. It's ever craving. It's ever feeling that it's empty. But Sha'al, also meaning to ask, could be a place that causes people to ask questions. Where did he go? Where is he? I mean, this woman, Israeli woman that we met by the pool in Rancho Mirage, just lost her husband. She said, I just want to know where he is. See, that's Sha'al. It could mean that. Jacob's statement shows that Jacob believed in an afterlife. Sheol is not hell. That's not hell. Don't think of Sheol as hell. Gehenna is hell. Gehenna is hell. Jacob's statement shows that Sheol is not a state of not being. Jacob knew that he was still going to go to his son son there somehow, somewhere. Okay, that's where we'll end this morning and pick it up next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for helping us to, to get through this passage here and to learn the truths you want us to learn in Jesus' name. Amen.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.